Let's pray together. Lord, you are so much bigger than we are. Lord, even on a Sunday morning, if, when I've, if I've put together the best words I can put together, they're not enough. You are so much bigger. You're so much greater. You're so much stronger. And maybe there's one struggling right now and they need to hold on to this claim. And we, need to, we claim it for them. We come together and we claim it for anyone who's struggling right now that you're bigger and you're greater and you're stronger. We claim it over maybe lost people in our families and in our, in our neighborhood and our friends and at school. And we know that you're bigger and you're stronger and we pray that you'll draw them unto yourself. Lord, we're claiming that and we're looking forward to seeing a mighty work of your hand. And I pray, Lord, that as we see it, we'll come back here and share it and we'll give praise to your name. And that it'll happen in such a way that you alone receive all the glory. Go with us now as we look at your holy word, as we see a miracle of Christ. May we believe in you that you can do a mighty work here and now. In Christ's holy name, amen. We're looking at John uh, chapter 6, uh, the feeding of the, the 5,000. I've titled this, A, a Little uh, Becomes Much. And it's really, the longer title would be, A Little Becomes Much in the Hands of Jesus. A Little Becomes Much. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. Because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Well, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. It's interesting that John points this out. It's, it points to the historical nature of it, that John was paying attention that very day that they were in a place where there was much grass, a comfortable place for the people to sit down. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, and not, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Thanks be to God for his holy word. 
Well, last week we saw how Jesus was equal with God in his actions, his judgment, and his ability to give life. Today we read further proof of his deity, another miracle. Jesus has already turned water into wine. He's healed an official son. He's healed a man who had been invalid for 38 years. Now we see Jesus' fourth miracle in the Gospel of John, or sign, as John calls him. He feeds more than 5,000 people with just, just a handful of provisions. Little becomes much in Jesus' hands. And Jesus said back in John 5, verse 36, For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. Jesus himself says, listen, my works, my miracles prove that I am who I say I am. And of course, the feeding of the 5,000 is familiar to many of you. But did you know that aside from the resurrection of Jesus, the feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle recorded by all four Gospels? The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record a lot of the same miracles, but John's gospel was written at a later date, and his calling was not to merely repeat the stories and the miracles of the synoptic gospels, but he wanted to add additional factual stories and teachings and miracles that the other writers chose to omit. Jesus, uh, John wanted to supplement and complement what we call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But the feeding of the 5,000 is included in all four Gospels, which attests to just how important this story is. So let's take a closer look at this miracle this morning. Verse 1, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. John doesn't give us any further details, but Luke's gospel tells us that they withdrew to Bethsaida. And you can see Bethsaida is up in the, the northeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. And note that Nazareth is down uh, in the southwest uh, corner, and Jerusalem's even farther down. I didn't have enough room to, to get the whole map on here, but it's, it's way down south. Although you never said uh, down when you were going to Jerusalem. The Bible always talks about going up to Jerusalem, but it was south of this area. Keep that in mind as I share some things with you. Uh, John doesn't tell us why they went to the other side of the sea, but again, the synoptic gospels, I think, help fill in the blanks. Just prior to this event, Jesus has sent uh, 12 disciples out on their own missionary journey. Jesus has also been rejected in his own hometown of Nazareth. Remember down southwest of the Sea of Galilee. He's been down there, and, and that explains one of the reasons why they're going to go up and over to the other side of the sea. But he's been rejected there. Jesus has also learned of the death of John the Baptist. And Matthew and Mark's Gospels make it clear that they were intentionally withdrawing to go to a lonely place to be away from the crowds. You see, Jesus was trying to get his disciples and himself away so that, that they could have some time of rest, so that they could heal, so that they could minister unto one another. But Jesus and the disciples did not find that rest. 
Instead, verse 2, a large crowd followed them to the other side. And they followed him because they saw how Jesus was healing the sick. The crowd didn't follow Jesus, I don't think, because primarily they understood what he had taught at the end of John chapter 5 regarding his equality with God. No, as John indicates, they followed because he was healing them. He was taking care of their sick. But they likely failed to see the true significance of the miracles. That is, the, the miracles were proof that Jesus was the Son of God. He was the Father. He was equal with the Father. Verses 3 and 4 tell us that Jesus and the disciples went up on a mountain and they sat down. And it says that the Passover was at hand. The Passover was one of three festivals in which uh, every male Israelite was supposed to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. So that explains why there was such a big crowd gathered there. The people had come from up in that uh, northern region and they were traveling down or what we should say up to Jerusalem. And so it just made for a big crowd at that very moment. Further, John MacArthur notes in his commentary that since the Passover commemorates the exodus from Egypt, then the Jews' nationalistic feelings were at a, a kind of fever pitch at this point, which may explain why the crowd, as noted in verse 15, wanted to make Jesus king. Regardless, Jesus, of course, notices the crowd. And the synoptic gospels tell us that Jesus had compassion on them, and he welcomed them. And then verses 5 to 7, Jesus put Philip to the test. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little. We don't know why he singled out Philip. Some suggest Philip may have been the administrator of the group, that, that he was the one among the 12 who took care of the food and the lodging and, and all the logistics. Others suggest that maybe he singled out Philip because Philip was from Bethsaida, which is where they were at, remember, at that point. Jesus asked him because he would be the most likely to know where to find food. But Andrew and Peter were also from Bethsaida, so that's not really a complete answer who knows but Jesus intention was very very clear he said this in verse 6 that's up there he said this to test him he said this to test him but the question where are we to buy food that seemed like a pointless question to Philip because he said in verse 7 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to have a little some of you know that a, a denarius was a day's wage for a worker in that day. So I can imagine Philip's thought process went, went something a little bit like this. Uh, yeah, really, Jesus? I mean, even if I knew where to buy bread, Jesus, you're talking about seven months' wages to buy bread for everybody just to get a little bite. I mean, I could check with Judas, our treasurer, 
but I'm pretty sure we don't have that kind of money. You're asking the impossible, Jesus. Christ had already performed three miracles. So Philip should have known better. But in honesty, he did what most of us would have done. You see, Philip whipped out his internal calculator and he added it all up. And he came to the conclusion, there's no way, Jesus, we don't have the money to do this. Nope, sorry, Jesus, it's not happening. And don't you and I sometimes do the same thing? We limit what Jesus does in and through us because we assume that we know what He can and cannot do. Hold on to that thought, that we assume what He can and cannot do. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. But now Andrew, in verses 8 and 9, at least tried to find a solution. He found or he knew of a boy who had five barley loaves and a couple fish. However, he too had his doubts because he asked, but what are they? I mean, Jesus, what are five loaves of fish and, I mean, five loaves of bread and, and two fish among so many? He looked at the enormity of the problem and Andrew could see no way to feed all the people. Like Philip, he was limiting what Jesus could do. And then verses 10 to 13, Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he gave thanks to God, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. You see, Jesus took charge of the situation. And rather than reprimand the disciples, he put them to work, instructing them, have the people sit down. Trust me on this one. Go this far. At least have the people sit down. And there were 5,000 men there. So with women and children, the number of this miracle was actually more like fifteen to 20,000 people that were fed that very day. Jesus took what they had to offer, five loaves and two fish, and he gave thanks to God. And as the saying goes, the rest is history. Even after everyone ate at this miraculous all-you-can-eat buffet, they gathered up 12 baskets full of fragments, a basket for every doubting disciple. So think about this with me for a little bit. The disciples had their doubts. They assumed what Jesus could and could not do. But a boy there at least had something to offer. And eventually, despite their doubts, the disciples were obedient. We have to give them that. They had the people sit down, and they started distributing food. And Jesus did more than they could have asked or they could have imagined. 
I want to ask us this morning, is there a seemingly impossible task that Jesus is calling you to do? Or is there a seemingly impossible situation in your life that you need Jesus to heal? First, don't let your estimate of what Jesus can and cannot do keep you from taking on that task He's calling you to. You may feel like you've got very little to offer. But if Jesus is calling you and he thinks what little you have to offer and his power is enough, I guarantee you he can make it happen. So despite your doubts, despite your fears, be obedient. Be obedient and take the next faithful steps. Some of you have heard my testimony about being called uh, into ministry. But we got a number of new people and I thought I'd share a, a portion of it this morning. As I was being called to ministry, it seemed that, that God was telling Jeanette and I for, for us to take the next faithful step and to uh, apply to seminary. But I had so many doubts and fears about that calling. I still do some days. In my naivety, though, I, and, and my stupidity, I must be honest, I told God I was 28 years old, and I'd already been working in engineering for nearly six years, so I couldn't go back to school. I couldn't start over. I didn't know how young I was, to be honest with you. Besides, I had a wife and a daughter, and we wanted to have a second child. How was I going to drag them off to seminary? How was I going to feed them and clothe them and take care of them, Lord, while I was in school? Further, I was an engineer. And if any of you were, happened to attend a school that also had an engineering school back in the 80s and 90s, you may remember something that every engineering student had in their backpack, or some of them had a great big one strapped on their belt right here. It was a Texas Instrument Scientific Calculator. I didn't have the TI, I had the Casio, I had the lesser version, but I had one. And so much like Philip, I whipped out that calculator and I calculated and I calculated and I calculated again and I kept looking at it and I said, God, we can't go to seminary. There's no way we can afford it. We'll never make it. But our pastor urged Jeanette and I to take the next faithful step and he said, you know what, maybe the next faithful step is for you guys to go for a weekend for a theological inquiry at one of the Presbyterian seminaries. He knew what he was doing. We, we didn't know what he was up to, but he knew what he was doing. And so Jeanette and I went, and here's what we learned. That the average student at that time was 31 years old. Excuse number one, gone. Then more than half of the students were second career. Excuse number two, gone. A large a significant percentage of the students were married with children. Excuse number three, gone. And the seminary had a large endowment such that most students got out with very little debt. God 
in one weekend tore apart all my excuses. God can do what He wants to do in and through us if we'll offer whatever we have, if we'll offer even our doubts and our fears, and we'll take the next step. We'll take the next faithful step. And God is still working miracles far, far beyond calling an engineer into ministry. One of the fellows who was received, uh, uh, that I went to seminary with, was received into our presbytery last weekend. And he's been a good portion of his ministry. He's been a missionary, an overseas uh, missionary. And he told last week of a Muslim man hearing the voice of God and telling him to go to my friend's church and take communion. And if this Muslim man would go and take communion, he would come to know Jesus. And this Muslim man did just that. He walked up the aisle and he came and he took communion and he was saved that day. My friend also tells about a home where the family believed it was very much demon-possessed. And so my friend went out there to pray with the family and, and to anoint the, the house and to pray for God's blessings upon the house. And they were upstairs anointing the bedrooms when all of a sudden they heard a door opening downstairs. Bam, bam, bam. There was no one else in the house. There were no doors left open. There were no windows left open. There was no way a draft or a person could have caused that door to open and shut. And they started praying that in the name of, the Je of Jesus, that that demon or demons would leave that house, would quit messing with that door, and they'd never come back. And they did just that. You may think my friend's crazy, but he's never been anything but solid and truthful and a faithful expositor of God's Word. My friends, God is still working miracles if we will trust Him, if we'll give what we have and we'll lean into Him for the rest. God still wants to use people like you and like me. For some reason, God has chosen to work through us. Think about it. Jesus is God. He didn't need those five loaves and those two fish. He didn't even need the disciples to distribute it. But he chose to use what they had. God chooses to do his mighty works through, through weak, fallible human beings like you and me. Moses had speech problems, and the Bible says he was more humble than any man on earth. But God chose Moses to deliver his people from the bondage of mighty Egypt. Gideon was the youngest child from the weakest clan of Manasseh, but God chose him to deliver Israel from the Midianites. David was the young in his, youngest in his family. He was just a shepherd boy, but God chose him to kill Goliath and deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Over and over again, God does extraordinary, miraculous things with ordinary people. God's still using people like you and like you and like me. Don't let your estimate of what God can and cannot do keep you, beloved, from answering His call. Despite how little you feel, how little you feel you have to offer, despite your great sometimes doubts and fears, take the next step of faith.
take the next step of faith. Little is indeed much in the hands of Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, you're still calling. And you're still using ordinary people like us. If we're willing to follow, willing to trust, not in ourselves, but in you, you're still doing amazing, miraculous works. Maybe there's someone listening today that you've been calling, but they're afraid to take the next step. Maybe like me, they feel so inadequate. Maybe they think that there's no way they could have the resources to answer your call. Maybe they're fighting a battle. Maybe it's mental. Maybe it's physical. Maybe they're in desperate need of, of healing. I pray that we would not limit whatever the situation, what you can do. That we take the next step of faith, that we trust in you to work mightily. I pray that as the body of Christ, we would not limit what you can and cannot do. That we would not limit you by holding on to our doubts and our fears. Oh Lord, use us to do amazing things in our community. Call us out of our fears and doubts. Call us out of our complacency. Call us out of our excuses. And do a mighty work in and through us. And Lord, we pray that you would do it in such a way that you alone would receive all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.